This podcast is brought to you by the Eisner Award-winning Legend Comics and Coffee in Omaha, Nebraska, and Heronext.com. Finally, a comic shopping site for collectors by collectors. Acha! This is Nick Patera, artist of the Manhattan Projects, and you are listening to Two Headed Nerd with Joe and Matt. Sort of break it, break it down like this. Broadcasting from the Ziggurat at Omaha, deep below the metro area, it is my pleasure to welcome you to episode 173 of THN, where we're talking comics and nerd news for the week of Wednesday, August 6th. My name is Matt Baum. You can find me on the Twitter under the handle at Matt Baumstein. When I'm not explaining the difference between a nerd and a dork to my co-workers at my, quote, real job, upon spotting a passerby wearing steampunk goggles in public, I'm writing the comic speculator blog, fourthpoint.com. True story. And I'm Joe Patrick, that's at JoePatrick116 on the Twitter, and when I'm not being forced to do shots of whiskey on my birthday by people that aren't Matt Bond. I had nothing to do with it, actually. It's true. I'm the manager of Legend Comics and Coffee in Omaha, Nebraska. I got pissed. Casey's like, look, they're making Joe do shots. And I turned and I was like, what? I'm the only one that makes Joe Patrick do shots. <laughs> in this week's episode, you're going to hear our in-depth reviews of Night World, number one, and Captain Victory and the Galactic Rangers, number one. After that. We're going to review 10 of this week's new comics faster than Marvel lawyers can send cease and desist orders to everyone selling dancing group toys on Etsy during the ludicrous speed round. And then we'll visit the THN Sanctum Sanctorum, where a small group of time-traveling spider peeps will be spilling the beans on next week's comics. And finally, it's time again to play Ask a Nerd, where we'll be answering one lucky listener's comic questions. But before we get to the guts of this show, I got to ask the producers of Into the Storm, Whose brilliant f***ing idea was it to make a movie about tornadoes that aren't full of sharks? Boo! And then we can talk about this week's big news. It's like, why even bother? Yeah, give me a break, right? We got big news! DC blinked. Originally planned for May 6th, 2016, a release weekend traditionally dominated by Marvel and the release date for Captain America 3, Batman v Superman colon Dawn of Justice has been given a new release date of March 26th, 2016. All the good movies come out of March. <laughs> yeah. And in addition to ensuring that summer blockbuster season now begins in mid-spring, Warner Brothers has announced a schedule of 10 films spread over a five-year period, beginning with Superman vs. Batman in 2016. Of course, none of the other film titles were announced, Go but... Go figure. This seems like a direct response to Marvel Studios doing the exact same thing a few weeks back. None of DC's dates align with Marvel's, but some appear close enough to compete. But that's the big question, isn't it? Can DC and Warner Brothers actually compete with Marvel at this point? I don't know, man. They have got a lot of catching up to do. And when I say a lot of catching up to do, I mean shitload like of catching up to do. Like a decade worth of catching up to do. Well, and this, it's just so, like... Marvel comes out and says, yeah, we've got a plan to put out all these movies. And DC goes, um, so do we. You know, like, really? What are they called? I'll get back to you. You know? <laughs> well, I mean, to be fair, Marvel did not release. The only ones Marvel has released are sequels anyway. Right. Like, we don't know what Marvel's doing either. And we know they're coming. But, like, Marvel does this now. They're in the business of doing this. Yeah. And we all like this business. They've been killing it. Whereas Warner Brothers, since Dark Knight trilogy has yet to give us a movie that we all can universally say, that was cool. Well, not I mean, even like, that was great. Just like, I'm okay with that. <laughs> you know? <laughs> Some heartless monsters liked Man of Steel, but... 
And, and, and that's not, to, I'm just saying it's not much maligned, but it was definitely, there was a lot of argument there. Right. I still feel weird about it. Like, I liked <laughs> parts of it, and I did not like parts of it. Imitation is the sincerest form of flattery. Yes. And so, Warner Brothers would be idiots to not, to try to capitalize on that. Right. And so, I'm not blaming them for, like, trying to mimic it. No. It just seems like that kid on the playground, they were like... You're the like one kid is like, yeah, I'm gonna mow six lawns this week, and I'm gonna make thirty dollars and go buy a toy. And then the other kid's like, oh yeah, I'm gonna mow a million. You know, like, <laughs> <laughs> sure. Where whose lawns? I guess, <laughs> like, what are you talking about? <laughs> my biggest worry is that Warner Brothers is going to be so focused on competing, right, or beating Marvel that they are going to fart out. Yeah, just pump it out. Which hey. Look at this. Transformers, lowest reviewed film of the summer. First one to get to a billion dollars. A worldwide. billion Highest dollars. grossing film of the summer. So has nothing to do with quality. Maybe Warner Brothers can make their money that way. <laughs> That's right. Crapping out shitty superhero movies that make billions of dollars. This is why we can't have nice things. I know. In comic news, Boom Studios has announced a new ongoing series from Luther Strode writer Justin Jordan and artist Ariella Christantina. Launching in November, Deep State will feature the adventures of John Harrow, a government secret keeper that travels the United States, ensuring the nation's deepest and darkest experiments stay hidden from the public eye. Deep State is the first of three new titles by Jordan that Boom will publish this year. In an interview with Comic Book Resources, Jordan said, readers could expect a, quote, light to medium level of science fiction. Right, you know. <laughs> like speculative speculative technology okay. stuff, but I maybe like not. Light to medium level. It sounds like something at like the amount of sweetener you ask for at Starbucks or something. Right. <laughs> Similar to level found in Warren Ellis's Global Frequency, the series kicks off. A partly cloudy level of science fiction. <laughs> right. The series, there's a 20% chance of science fiction. (laughs) (laughs) The series kicks off when something discovered during a secret moon landing makes its way to Earth. Quote, the thing we learn in the very first issue is that the 1969 moon landing was real, unlike the conspiracy theory, but it was actually the third time we've been to the moon, and the part of the mission you didn't see was was the recovering of the bodies from the last trip. Whoa. Oh man, it's just like Iron Sky. You never saw Iron Sky, did you? Uh, no. The Nazis went to the moon in World War II and they turned into zombies. Is that what happened? Yeah, man, it was w- bad news. Wasn't there also a horror movie last year called Apollo 18, where like essentially the moon was alive? No, that was again zombies. But they no, were. No, co- it was like the rocks came to life and. No, it was cosmonaut zombies, dude. This time it was Russians. <laughs> okay. Yeah. Well, regardless. Yeah, there's all kinds of zombies that should have Look, moved, here's the silly. lesson. Don't I would think go to the moon, okay? You go to the moon, and you've got any trace of lycanthropy in your family history, you're a werewolf, dude. <laughs> you know, like, bam. <laughs> zombie? That doesn't even make sense. Right. Yeah, <laughs> werewolves on the moon. No brainer. This sounds cool as hell. But yeah, Dead Body Road. Loved it. He's done some work for DC. He's the current writer, or at least recently, he was the writer of uh, Green Lantern New Guardians, which I do not read. But I heard is pretty decent. Okay. Justin Jordan, man. He's that cool. dude puts out good comics. This sounds super fun. Yeah. And Boom's a cool place to do it. They and give like you all Boom has, yeah. Boom has said, you know what? We want to be in the Justin Jordan business. So I'm into it. I'm into it too. I'm into it. And finally, in a rare example of soulless corporate monsters acting with compassion, behaving like the people that they claim to be. <laughs> Marvel Studios has brought a little brightness into the otherwise difficult life of Bill Mantlo. 
Mantlo was one of Marvel's most prolific writers in the 80s, breathing life into licensed properties like Rom and the Micronauts, but his most famous creation has made an unexpected leap to film stardom. Mantlo, along with artist Keith Given, created Rocket Raccoon in the pages of Marvel Preview number 7 in 1976. Tragically, Mantlo suffered irreversible brain damage after a hit-and-run car accident and has required constant medical and rehabilitative care since 1992. Now that Guardians of the Galaxy is the number one movie in the entire universe, Mantlo's story is more visible than ever. You don't know that. There could be something bigger out there. You're right. Enter Marvel attorney David Althoff and vice president of operations David Bogart. The two surprised Mantlo and his family with a private showing of Guardians of the Galaxy at the care facility where he lives. Bill's brother and caregiver Michael posted on Bill's Facebook fan page saying, quote, What an incredible day for Bill Mantlo. Marvel hooked Bill up with a private viewing of Guardians of the Galaxy and my wife Liz and my beloved cousin Gene assisted Bill throughout enabling him to sit back, relax, and relish in the awesomeness of what is going to be, in my humble opinion, Marvel's greatest and most successful film ever. Okay. Yeah. (laughs) Bill thoroughly enjoyed it, giving it his highest compliment, the big thumbs up. And when the credits rolled, his face was locked into the hugest smile I have ever seen him wear, along with one or two tears of joy. This was the greatest day of the last 22 years for me, our family, and most importantly, for Bill. End quote. Further... In regards to compensation for the creation of Rocket Raccoon, Michael said that Marvel had been very generous. Of course, they can't talk about details because that's all legal stuff. Sure. Now, Matt, I read this story a dozen times. I tear up each time I do it. While I was reading it, I I was like, I could see Joe Patrick feeling all squishy and happy about this, and that's great. Did they pay him? Did they pay him? And when I got to the part where they said, yes, they have compensated him because this dude is in... Bill Mantlo is not a millionaire, and he no. needs constant care. Oh, yeah, and, I mean... And that is expensive, I man. think that we... I feel like we talked about Bill Mantlo some time ago. We did. We on did. the show. Uh, because a story came out about his struggle and about how he has been all but abandoned by the healthcare system. Right. And is he going to get paid for the his movie property... His, his properties moving to the big screen, I should say. Yeah. A lot of sites, especially at least uh, from what I've seen, uh, Comics Alliance, uh, creators like Greg Pak have done a great job of making sure people know. Yeah, definitely. Look, if you liked, if you liked Guardians of the Galaxy, if you really loved it, if your kid freaked out, send the cost of a movie ticket to Bill Mantlo. Yeah, Comics Alliance is really good at stuff like that. Yeah. Mad props to them for that. But I'm, more importantly... I'm glad that they showed up and showed him the movie and he enjoyed it. That's excellent. More importantly, I'm glad they're paying this guy. Right. And it's the right thing to do. And it's good to hear Marvel doing this and not doing it as like a press junket or a story. Just doing it because it's the right thing to do. Yeah, you know what? Marvel didn't, like Marvel did not put out anything that said, look at how great we are. People noticed this on the web and found it. Yeah, it was Bill Mantlo's brother that said, these guys from Marvel just showed up. Yeah. That's awesome, And did man. this thing. That is awesome. And I think that is amazing. That's an amazing story. Let's hope that they treat all of their creators that well when they need it it's most. It's good to see them. It's good to see them putting their money where their mouth is. That's big news for this week. If you'd like to discuss all these stories and anything we missed, like the carnage and venom 
movie rumor that Aaron Myers is spouting on Twitter with absolutely nothing behind it, it seems. I was afraid we may have gotten scooped. You know what? I don't trust anything that guy puts on Twitter. <laughs> Tell me about it. <laughs> you can hit us up in the big news section at the THN forums. Tell us what we got wrong. Somebody fact check this crap, please. Jesus. Every Sunday, the rumor-mongering Joe Patrick posts the question of the week in the THN forums, and then you guys answer it. We have a whole other show called The Answer of the Week. Joe's going to tell you about it. But first, what are we asking the listeners this week, Joey? This week's question comes courtesy of THN love slave Kevin Coffey, author of Batman Forever. Not that Batman Forever. <laughs> not that Batman Forever. <laughs> Don't throw bricks through his windows. <laughs> Kevin wants to know... Who is your favorite lame villain? Z-list. Z-list, you know, not crazy villain plots. We've done that one. Nope. This is just like the weirdest, craziest, dumbest villain that you can think of, but you love for some reason you can't explain. This one's going to be fun. Uh, Yeah, this is a super fun question. I can't wait to talk about it. Z-list villains blowing up the Marvel U right now in Original Sin. Z-list villains coming out of the woodwork in Batman Eternal. The orb. (laughs) Yeah. I'm excited. I'm excited. You have until midnight this coming Thursday, August 14th. Well, wait, let's set down some ground rules. You want to know who he is. I want a brief explanation of his powers and trappings or whatever, and then why you love him. Like yeah, your, yeah, all right. your little handbook entry on your favorite Z-list villain. A little. Yeah, being little. the operative word. Right, yeah. yeah. <laughs> but yeah, I think those are some good ground rules. Who is it? What do they do? Why do you love them? There we go. You have until midnight this coming Thursday, August 14th. To get us your answer, you can call and leave a message with your answer using Skype. The handle there is two-headed-nerd, all one word. Or you can call the Ziggurat hotline, 402-819-4894. Like we said, keep it short. Three minutes or less, you will get cut off. It's a long show already. Lots of people calling in, especially with the fun questions. So let's give everybody their fair share of airtime. Of course, if you need more space than that you can feel free to write your full answer to your heart's content in the question of the week section of the thn forums we've talked about it before we'll talk about it again don't worry talked about what the forums oh where they're at yeah oh you mean at thn.com they're not at thn.com thn.com is not a thing that we own it's the hockey news Hurts you, the hockey news. Actually, I really like that. It's review time on THN, where Matt and I crush the hearts of creators with our ill-informed and sometimes downright spiteful opinions of their work. We're journalists. That's right. Matt, what did you decide to take a crap on this week? This week, I am reviewing Night World, number one, from Image, written by Adam McGovern, with art by Paolo Leandri. There's solicit, sad demon... Plenilunio rules a haunted castle with his sleepwalking lover, Lydia, and unwisely bargains with the evil empire to wake her. He's in a race for the mystic soul key with teen from Hades hotspot. He's like a demon speedster and the ruthless Helena. Get it? Huh? She's from hell. I get it. Agents of the empire with a Y P Y R E fire. Huh? See what's, see what's going on there. Puns (laughs) with secret agendas. Oh, with secret agendas. That's all. A four-part thrill ride to hell starts here with humor, horror, tragic romance, and blockbuster monster fights. If you need more than that, you're probably an asshole. I admit, once again, I found myself roped in by the art here. Paolo Leandri is a relative newcomer to Image, but his work 
on his digital Idoru Jones comic has been available over at highlowbrow.com since 2011. After reading this, I went and checked out some of it. It's also a lot of fun. Spoiler alert, this was fun. Leandri's style reminds me of Jack Kirby meets Charles Burns and Steve Rude. He uses thin, elongated lines to give his characters an otherworldly appearance. I love his style, but the colors by Dominic Regan are what really gave Leandri's art real feeling. The bright blues and neon greens give Nightworld this almost velvet painting or blacklight poster look. It reminded me of those old 70s Doctor Strange blacklight posters that are hard to look at without throwing up. Not because <laughs> they're, they're bad, they're just so bright and bizarre. McGovern's story and dialogue fit perfectly with the Technicolor dark story of Plenilunio, whose name literally means a night lit by full moon. Who's, he seems to be some kind of demon flying squirrel. We really don't get anything about his origin, but it's not important. According to the afterword, McGovern came up with this story while acting as a caregiver to his parents during some sleepless nights, and it shows in the strangeness of the narrative. If you're a fan of off-the-wall 1970s horror in the vein of Kirby's Demon or Jerry Conway and Gene Colan's Tomb of Dracula, you're probably going to love this. Nightworld is perfectly dark and overwritten in the style of the old Hammer horror films of the 70s, with bizarre art that jumps off the page. The story is really strange, and I'd be lying if I told you it wasn't a little hard to follow, but the tone and the look of the comic kept me reading it. It was almost like a strange poem that I would worry about trying to understand later. <laughs> you know? Sure. I know you guys hate it when we say it, but Nightworld is definitely not for everyone. If you're looking for a weird horror read written like a dense Edgar Allan Poe work with standout art, you will love this as much as I did. I'm giving it a highly qualified buy it because it was so weird. <laughs> sure. And I agree. It is super bizarre. Yeah. But it is like if Jack Kirby decided to do horror comics. Yeah. It, it's, it's in the 70s. Fantasy driven. It's totally strange. Without the solicit, if you just read this book, there is no way you could write the solicit based on it. <laughs> there really isn't. I loved it. I mean, I can't explain it, but right. I loved it. It, yeah. it was a ton of fun to read. It's gorgeous to look at. And ultimately, that's all that matters. I'm giving it a buy it as well. Yeah. And I'm curious to read more from this team, too. I, I am going to go finish the Adoro Jones stuff. I read the first two, and I really like it. It's weird as hell. I know that it's, you know... It depends on which way the breeze is blowing, whether or not a book like this gets a bite or a skim it, but it just, it caught me in the right mood. Yeah. And even though I know a lot of people will look at this and go, I didn't. So buy it. It's our show. Screw it's our you. show. Screw you guys. <laughs> you Keith Silva. <laughs> Joe Patrick, tell me about Captain Victory and the Galactic Rangers. All right. I will. It was published by Dynamite. <laughs> It was published by podcasting <laughs> folks. Pay attention, suckers. Listen, you keep introducing my own books published by Dynamite Entertainment. This was written by Joe Casey with art by Nathan Fox, Jim Rugg, and Ulysses Farinas. Love that guy. Colors are by Brad Simpson, and letters are by Simon Boland. It's been a long time since I've bothered to mention the letterer. You know what? It's been a long time since I've seen the name Simon Boland. That's fair. I feel like he hasn't been around for a while. I don't know. I mean, maybe he letters all of Joe Casey's stuff. It could be. I don't know. It could be. He could be a man of action. 
He could be a man of action. <laughs> Here is your solicit. Joe Casey is one of the industry's most popular writers, having written for Marvel and DC, from the Uncanny X-Men to Superman and many more best-selling titles, and most recently created and writes the acclaimed Sex series from Image Comics. Now he's tackling one of Jack Kirby's greatest creations, Captain Victory, and and this story will blow your mind! Wow! Out of the hell of a cosmic firefight, Captain Victory is launched into an epic adventure that spans both space and time. All your favorites are here, as well as all new enemies to face. Your new favorite cosmic comic book has finally arrived! All my favorite what? <laughs> it's just all your favorites are here. All your favorites. <laughs> okay. You know... <laughs> That guy with the afro and that brain in the jar. Oh, yeah. My favorite. Yeah. Joe Casey is a writer that I admit I struggle with from time to time. Because you're dumb. Right. That's all it is. Right. Sometimes I marvel at his capacity for huge and outrageous ideas. Sometimes I find his storytelling to be dense and impenetrable. While Captain Victory and the Galactic Rangers isn't short on big, confusing ideas, Casey, Fox, Rug, Farina, Simpson, and Boland execute them perfectly delivering a wild first issue that I was sad to see end. Captain Victory and the Galactic Rangers was a concept created by Jack Kirby for Pacific Comics, a publishing house started by a comic book retail chain in the 70s. Pacific only lasted for a few years as a publisher, but it burned bright while it did, putting out books like Mike Grell's Star Slayer, Dave Stevens' Rocketeer, and of course, several concepts from the king himself, following a time that he had all but quit comics, which is interesting to note. After several less-than-successful revival attempts, including one previous version at Dynamite, looking at you, Kirby Genesis, Joe Casey and his team of lunatics are trying again, and this time I think they're onto something. Being captain of the Galactic Rangers is a suicide mission that never ends, but when his ship, the Dreadnought Tiger, is attacked by the fearsome Mechanos Warriors... Captain Victory's latest rebirth finds him in an, in an unexpected time and place. Casey's script introduces a crew of insane alien characters and bounces all over time and space in a way that seems perfectly in tune with the chaotic space battle and the themes of violent death and rebirth. Nathan Fox, Jim Rugg, and Ulysses Farinas take the high-concept premise and run with it. The art team contributes three distinct sections that tie together seamlessly without letting their personal styles get lost, all the while remembering the influence of the man that created Captain Victory in the early 80s. The importance of the contributions by colorist Brad Simpson and letterer Simon Boland can't be understated. Simpson's bold colors bring the psychedelic Kirby-infused art to life, and Boland's letters incorporate perfectly into the art, giving the book a bombastic feel, like the panels are the letters in a lot of cases. Yeah, it was cool. And certain panels are just like filled with nothing but bold text, like, embrace your destiny! Yeah, it's like the mechanics you know, kind of speak like that. Like, the opening of the story is like, fire, death, kill, bomb, or right. whatever. Like, it's awesome. <laughs> Captain Victory number one is pure Kirby imagination resurrected by some of the best and craziest creators in comics. I wasn't sure I was going to care about this title going into it, but now I can't wait to read more. Huge buy it. Ulysses Farinas is coming up as one of my favorite artists right now in the business. He was doing that Judge Dredd Mega City 2 book as well over at IDW. And he's so good. All right. He also did some Prophet stuff, uh, fill-in stuff on the Prophet series with Brandon Graham. And it's so good. I love this guy's art, and he's perfect here 
Like the whole story felt like you were on a ship that was violently shaking. <laughs> it was getting hit from all sides. Yeah, really. And it looked so cool. The panels fell apart with explosions and stuff. When the ship would rock to one side, the whole story would be leaning to the left or leaning to the right. It was just cool. Visually, this was so cool. And you could tell that the artists just have a ton of fun working with a guy like Joe Casey, who obviously gives them whatever freedom they want. Yeah, You could tell he's like, let's go nuts. This was awesome. And I think had Kirby Genesis been handled more like this, where they just picked certain creators and said, hey, which one of these guys do you feel an affinity to? And what do you want to do with them? I think it would have been much more successful. I hope to see more stuff like this. Take these old characters and give us a new spin on them. Don't make them old characters. It's not interesting if every single one of them is Captain America, is my point. Like, oh, they all disappeared for a long time. They all came back. You know, no. Give me new takes on them. This is a new take that's going to be really fun. I can't wait to read more of this. Huge buy it from me. It should be said that the main artist, the primary artist of the series is Nathan Fox. Right. And he's, I, I don't mean to take anything away from yeah. Nathan Fox. And he's his fantastic. part is amazing. He's his, fantastic. The, the space battles and the rebirth yeah. scenes, fantastic. Jim Rugg does uh, the flashback scene and Ulysses Furinus does, I guess the best way to describe it, it's like whatever is going through his mind when like this rebirth is occurring. We, and did right? you ever mention that he's cloned? You never mentioned that. I didn't mention it, but uh, like death and rebirth, I mentioned. Okay. Like I didn't. I didn't actually. Yeah, Ulysses Farinas kind of draws Captain Victory in the ether. I guess. Right. Perfect for it. Yeah, I mean, it's it's hard to explain without (laughs) uh, spoiling too much. So you read the book, you understand. Trust us, it's amazing. Yeah, it really was (laughs) cosmic fun. So that is a double buy it for Nightworld number one and a double buy it for Captain Victory and the Galactic Rangers. It's been quite a while since we've given anything a bad review in our main reviews. I'll try harder to you be know a we jerk do? next week. Next week, we should do a hated it show where it's just like we pick two books that we do not like and review them. <laughs> of course, we want to know. Because people love to hear people be negative. Sure. Yeah. Of course, we want to know what you sad demons and cloned heroes thought of these comics. So terrify us with the nightmares that are your opinions over at the This Week's Comic section of the Two-Headed Nerd forums, which, of course, you can find by clicking the forum button at twoheadednerd.com. Somehow, the Marvel Comics licensing department will slap their name on everything from toothpaste to matchbox monster trucks, but no one had the foresight to make a dancing Groot in a pot. Suckers. Spoilers, I guess. (laughs) Come on. (laughs) Really, guys? But fear not, true believers. Matt and I have had our team of Moloid slaves. (laughs) I mean, loyal workers, happy employees, assembling dancing Groot toys like they are going out of style. And we're blowing them out at twoheadednerd.com. Get one while they're hot or until such time as we receive a cease and desist letter any second now. <laughs> In the meantime, we'll be reviewing 10 more of this week's comics during the ludicrous speed round. Ludicrous speed. Go. A waste of time. Number one from Northwest Press. This is an odd little collection of odd little mature readers comic strips by Rick Worley. Mature readers. What are you talking about? Like dicks, butts, boobs, all the above? Um, I mean, there are no dicks, butts, or boobs. That doesn't mean there couldn't. Adult situations. It doesn't mean there couldn't be. (laughs) It just there wasn't. Adult situations. Right. Worley, by his own admission, is working out his personal struggles through the mouths of these talking animals, and the results are pretty entertaining. It definitely won't be everyone's cup of tea, but... 
I thought it was clever with fun art. Skim it. All right. Imperial number one from Image. Steven Siegel writes a story of an adult nerd picked to inherit the job of Earth's mightiest protector right before he's supposed to get married. Siegel does a great job establishing Mark as the guy least likely to whatever, and his constant inner dialogue is funny and light. This is a light-hearted, entertaining story starring a nice guy who's never had to accept any real responsibility getting the biggest job in the world. And the art by Mark Dos Santos was solid, nothing remarkable, but he's good at what he does. This is just a nice departure from all the doom and gloom on the stands. I'm giving it a buy it. It was fun. All right. Steven Universe, number one from Kaboom. Look, I know that this book is aimed at kids and kids that are already fans of the show at that, but I have no idea what happened in this comic. The show is the same way. It's completely nuts. I like Steven Universe. There isn't a single word to explain the concept or the personalities of the characters. The best part about it was the Uncle Grandpa preview in the back, (laughs) which was actually hilarious. I'm sure that fans of the show will understand and enjoy it, and the art's really nice. I'm giving it a skim it, but like, look... At least explain what the hell Steven Universe is. <laughs> they didn't t- even tell me what the deal was. <laughs> Terminal Hero, number one from Dynamite. Writer Peter Milligan and artist Piotr Kowalski, Pete and Piot, tell the story of... I Rory- love that show on Nickelodeon. <laughs> <laughs> the Adventures of, the Adventures of Pete, of Pete and, Piot. and Piot. <laughs> The story of Rory Fletcher, a man with an inoperable brain tumor. Rory, a doctor, has a friend, also a doctor, that stumbles upon an experimental cancer treatment from a mysterious quack doctor called Treatment Q. A lot of doctors in this one. A lot of doctors. And it works, but the side effects may turn Rory into a super-powered monster. The premise is interesting. The the book feels a little rushed, and it made it kind of hard for me to care about Rory before he changes. There were a lot of, like, weird time jumps where it's like... Um, here's some experimental drugs. Later, it worked. And superpower rampage. You're like, whoa. (laughs) It was weird. Even Kowalski's work on sex for image is just amazing. Isn't as impressive as usual here. I can only give this a skim. Agree. How tunes. Reignition. Number one. The re is in little, not parentheses. What do they call them? Brackets. Brackets. From image. I was super curious about this project when I first heard about it. Science-based comics for kids. Hey, that's cool. Several simple lessons, including little mini-experiments blended into an awesome story about a family writing out a man-made environmental apocalypse. So, you know, whoa, heady stuff. Lighthearted. It was really wonderful. Great story, great art. Fred Van Lanty and Tom Fowler are the creative team. Oh, wow. They, I don't think they created the How-Toons thing. There was like a graphic novel of it before. How-Toons has been around for quite a while. But this was awesome. Perfect for all ages. Huh. Huge buy it. Cool. Genius number one from Image slash Top Cow. This was a Top Cow pilot season winner. Apparently, they're still doing that. And we will see the first five issues coming out weekly in August. It's the story of a cop with a theory about the person that united all the L.A. gangs into an army. Little does he know, it's a young girl with the mind of a brilliant military strategist. It's a cool enough premise, but some of the dialogue comes off as forced, and the way the main character takes over the gangs was just ridiculous. Not bad art by Afua Richardson, but there is a distracting amount of digital backgrounds that really yeah. took me it out of it. It was really full of like Photoshop tricks oh, and stuff, man. and that it, really bugged me. It got annoying, but I, I'm going to give it a skim it the style on of it the is right. Good. The style is good. They just, they've got some work to do. SIP Kids, number one from Abstract Studios. I don't get this. I don't either. Terry Moore returns to his Strangers in Paradise characters, but for some reason... 
as little children. It's clever, it's beautifully drawn, and it's genuinely funny. I can't say that I understand the motivation behind it. Yeah. But I definitely enjoyed reading it. So it would be like reading Love and Rockets, kids. You know, like I, mean, I don't get it at I all. I have to give it a buy it, even though I don't understand it. But it's it's great. I didn't read it. It's great. It's Terry Moore. I mean, all right. buy it. Okay. Somebody Why do you do this because Joe Patrick won't. No, you don't have to do anything. GFT presents Goddess Incorporated number one from Xenoscope. Latoya Morgan, one of the principal writers on Showtime's Shameless series. Gives GFT readers, GFT stands for Grim Fairy Tales, the story of the Greek goddess Venus, who was not from a Grim Fairy Tale, and her <laughs> plan to retake her place of power and worship through the fashion world. Neither is Alice in Wonderland, but no. it doesn't stop them. Nope, they just kind of grabbed everything. Right. This had all the markings of a TV writer dabbling in comics, long winded exposition, including four pages of Venus getting dressed and discussing her plan. Characters that are a little too on the nose. For instance, Apollo is a solar power champion and Venus is a bitchy fashion designer and a competent artist who doesn't know much about high fashion. I don't either, but I'm guessing models that look like Marilyn Monroe in replicas of the white dress that was famously blown up in the subway scene of the seven-year itch aren't ruling the runway at present. This was overwritten, poorly thought out, and stupid. I'm giving it a leave it. <laughs> Yusagi Yojimbo, Sento, number one from Dark Horse. I'm really happy to jump back into Yusagi so soon after my first outing with the color special. I just hope I didn't join just in time to see Stan Sakai lose his mind and put aliens in the series. Still, this is comic books at their best, and Sakai is a master. Beautiful art, wonderful story. Even the paper was great. Welcome to Yusagi Yojimbo, by the way. Yeah. Like 20 years late. 30. <laughs> yeah, 30, 30 years, years later. Late. Huge buy it. Superior Spider-Man number 32 from Marvel. Wait a minute. Didn't this book get canceled? Stay with me here. Doc Ock is still Spider-Man, but he's been shunted to 2099. At the same moment, Spidey 2099 was transplanted to 2014. Still with me? This takes place during a previous issue. Yes. yes. And now he's helping to build an army of transdimensional Spider-Men to face an unknown enemy that's killing them. If the Spider-Verse is going to be this much fun, count me in. This was bonkers. We see Doc Ock jump into Spider-Man India's reality to save him. Yeah. <laughs> and it was fun. If this, like I said, if the Spider-Verse is going to be this much fun, I am in. I love Superior Spidey. I'm thrilled to get two more issues of his return buy this this was like it was great this was so much more fun than i was expecting yeah it to yeah be. yeah Bra-coom! that is your ludicrous speed round and Bra-coom! is the sound of superior spider-man and spider-man india crashing through a dimensional gateway as seen in the pages of superior spider-man Number 32. You know they had like a long argument. Like, well, what do we call this Spider-Man from India? We could call him like, what about Spider-Man India? Yeah, f*** it. Let's go with that. (laughs) (laughs) On their way to the big Spider-Verse event, Doc Ock and the gang were nice enough to stop by for a quick discussion of what we were planning on reading next week. Some of these guys are from the future, so they can tell us whether it's worth our time or not. Yeah, yeah. I have been nice enough to pretend to know everyone, but I'm going to need some Joe Patrick-level Spidey knowledge if I have to introduce black and white Spidey to Asian-looking female Spidey. Joe, get over here and tell me who the hell these spider peeps are and what you're excited to read next week. 
My pick for next week is F1 Erst Hero. <laughs> Number one. I'm sure they want you to think it's First Hero. Probably. From Action Lab Entertainment, written by Anthony Rutgeiser, with art by Philip Sevy. Here's your solicit. Rutgeiser. He sounds like a <laughs> Japanese superhero. Wasn't he the villain in Blade Runner? No. Rutgeiser? <laughs> no, I'm pretty sure he's a giant robot with a glowing axe. The entire world knows the stark reality. Everyone who manifests superpowers goes insane and becomes a threat to society. So when Jake Roth develops superpowers but somehow keeps his sanity, he must decide whether to put himself at risk by using his powers to help people or do nothing and save himself while innocent people around him get hurt. <laughs> get hurt? Like, skin their knees? Oh, man, or get, well, like, no. fat lip? <laughs> no, like, people I, I are get it, I get it, I get developing it. powers. Just the way they said, you know, they get hurt. Sure, yeah. Like, fall off their skateboard, you know? <laughs> right. I don't know. This just caught my eye. It's uh, a fun little premise the, where the one sane, superpowered man has to be the only person that can combat these crazy menaces. I think it's a sure. fun idea. Fun. Action Lab coming up. Action Lab's hit and miss, let's be honest. Well, I, I guess I'm a little nicer to them than you are. <laughs> now, look, you know that they are. We've reviewed their stuff. That's true. But I think this sounds fun. Okay. The preview art looked cool. I'm giving it a try. Matt Bomb, what's your pick for next week? I'm going with Godzilla Cataclysm, number one, from IDW. I almost picked this just to spite you. Oh, you son of a... Written by Cullen Bunn with art by Dave Wachter. Wachter? Wachter? I don't Wachter? know. I'm going with Wachter. Wachter. Here's, here's your solicit. Years have passed since the monster apocalypse nearly destroyed mankind. Now it's merely a distant, nightmarish memory for Hiroshi, an elder in one of the few remaining tribes of humans. Little does Hiroshi know that the apocalypse is not over and that his memories of the past may yet save the future. Have Dis they ever done a story like that? No, not that like I recall. Like future dystopian. The giant monsters win? Yeah, Godzilla. So we're like the natural conclusion is the monsters fought until humans could barely live on the planet anymore. This sounds really cool. I'm mainly picking it because Dave Wachter is awesome. Yeah, dude. His art is really cool, and I am super excited to see him draw this. I feel like Cullen Bunn does his best work when he's not writing Marvel superheroes, so this could be a lot of fun. Speaking of Dave Wachter, the THN trade of the week is the Guns of Shadow Valley hardcover from Dark Horse Comics, written by Dave Wachter and James Andrew Clark, and art by Dave Wachter. The solicit. Somewhere in Shadow Valley lies a secret that could forever change the frontier. Only a posse of gunmen with special abilities can defend that secret from a tribe of ghostly warriors. An advancing army led by a deranged colonel and the perils of the valley itself. Whoa. Again, this sounds like a fun supernatural western in the vein of the sixth gun. You know the art will be gorgeous. Yeah. Dave Wachter drew that amazing Breath of Bones miniseries from really, last year. Really, cool. Uh, Steve Niles wrote it. It was phenomenal. Really looking forward to this. I had no idea he was also drawing Godzilla. There you go. So there you have it. It's the all-Dave Wachter show. Totally a coincidence. It's Dave Wachter week next week. <laughs> we're totally whacking it for Wachter. Wachter. We're wacky for Wachter. Whack, that sounds better than what I yeah. said. Yeah, you pervert. <laughs> After you're done getting to know your Spideys, let us know what you plan on reading next week over, that's right, in the THN forums. We talk about them all the damn time. Heck yeah. Before we move on, we got to pay some bills here in the Ziggurat, guys. We have a new sponsor we're super proud of, HeroNext.com. Are you sick of idiots on eBay offering you five bucks to end your auction of Hulkoin81? Guess what? 
There's a new site called Heronext.com that's heard your cries, nerds. Heronext is a free, streamlined comic book selling service run by comic nerds for comic nerds. Unlike other auction sites, Heronext allows you to easily list your comics with pictures, and then you choose a fixed price. And the listings all have links to the CGC Census, the Grand Comics Database, and both the Marvel and DC Wikis to verify whatever comic you are buying and selling. One of the best things about this, the ease of the search engine. Yeah, man. Like, when you list things on eBay, it's a huge pain. If you try to find Incredible Hulk number one, it's going to come back with posters, every Hulk number one autograph, miniseries autograph, ever made, Rigno pictures, toys <laughs> for some ridiculous. reason. On Heronext.com, it's just the comics. Incredible Hulk number one is going to get you nothing but. And it's cool. You search Hulk, Incredible Hulk number one, and it's going to say, all right, do you mean the one from the 60s, the one from the 80s? It's got all the different eras parsed out right there. You pick the one you want. Bam. That is it. These guys have already sold close to $45,000 worth of comics on their site. In just a few months. And it's free. They're not taking any money from the sales right now. How can they afford to pay us? They're friggin' saints. I don't know. And you know what? My favorite feature? Customizable comic eras. Very cool. If you think that the Bronze Age starts when Con- with Conan number one, and I think it starts when Gwen Stacy died, we're both right on Heronext.com. Heronext.com. Check these guys out. They're good buddies of ours. They're out of the goodness of their hearts. They're sponsoring the show. We appreciate it, and they really do have a great site. Go check it out. You guys will love it. It's free. It's time again to play Ask a Nerd, where we invite one nerd into our office to probe his or her deepest comic questions. Not like comic therapy. That's a totally different thing. Yeah, absolutely. That's not what we're doing here. Right. We're we're not a licensed therapist. We are not analyzing them. We're judging them. No, we are absolutely judging them. Today, a forum user named Hebrews, you might recognize him. It's Ryan Mount from last week's question of the week. That guy gets around. I know. He writes us via the Ask a Nerd forum. In Superior Spider-Man, we saw Otto try to be the hero and fail. We saw this again with Riddler trying to be a detective in Gotham City before the New 52. The Thunderbolts, Ant-Man, all villains, turned heroes, and a lot of failure. What other stories are there with the villains turning good and ending up failing? Everybody in the Buffy universe. <laughs> Everybody! <laughs> Well, no, usually... Spike, Angel, I mean, come on. But those villains turn good and they stay good. Why is this so interesting? Before we go into this, let's talk about this. Let's talk about the trope of villains becoming heroes. What do you call that? Why do we love this? What What they call it in the wrestling business, they refer to it as the heel face turn. Happens all the time. Good guys go bad, bad guys turn good. It's fun. It But why do we love it? What is it specifically... I know that I love it every time I get to see a bad guy doing something good for a change. It's kind of cool. It didn't so much work out so well in Forever Evil. Well, it's not so much that the villains turned good. It's that, hey, we need to save the Earth because that's where I keep all my stuff. Right. They had no choice but to do it. But it is definitely a trope that comics constantly return to. It's not just comics. Obviously, we'd spent... Everyone does. ...an eternity talking about Buffy. Right. Um, Dragon Ball Z was the same thing. Sure. <laughs> like, bad uh, guys lined up to turn into good guys. How many Super Saiyans does it take to screw in a light bulb? How many? Find out next time on Dragon Ball Z! 
That was good. Thank Dragon you. Ball Z humor, folks. Yeah. <laughs> we are multifaceted. That is why you tune into this show, right? Uh, so, uh, like, sometimes a villain is just so charismatic and fun to, like, love to hate or whatever, right? Right. That the natural progression is to see that person evolve. Sure. Into a different type of character. I think Magneto. That's what, that was, like, Spike, when Spike came onto Buffy, he was a tremendous villain. Yeah. And the natural progression was for him to just slowly get away from villain. To be fair, he was also in love with the crazy chick that messed his head up pretty bad. Drusilla. Yeah. Yeah. You know what? That was a whole weird Drusilla relationship. Was nuts, though. Yeah, she was. <laughs> I think we just love to see our villains evolve. You start out liking the villain, Loki. Perfect. In example. the Avengers movies, man. Perfect example. Uh, and and now in the comics is that Loki was such a good villain in Thor. He was sympathetic. Yeah. You know, his motivation was flawed, but you could kind of see where he was coming from. And then all of a sudden they had no choice but to say, well, okay, I guess now Thor and Loki are teaming up. Right. In Thor 2. Magneto in the X-Men movie. I we we see both young Charles and young Eric, like these plucky friends, both in it for the same reasons, with slightly different ideas of how it should be done. And I think I think the whole idea is when a villain becomes more than a villain, when we see their human side, it's more interesting than just the mustache twiddling guy that well, has sure. the girl tied up on the railroad tracks with the bomb and the train is coming that, <laughs> like for no reason. Yeah, like snidely know? whiplash, right? <laughs> yeah, or whatever. Exactly. That's what makes a good villain a villain that doesn't think of himself as the villain. Right. Like Magneto. That's why Magneto is such a great character because he thinks he's in the right. Right. He's not out to rule the world. He's not out to get rich. No. And Scott Summers has kind of turned into that guy recently. Right. And so, but the idea of a villain turning good and then reverting, I think is something different, right? Going back to his old Like they gave it their best effort and just like, screw it, man. It was too hard. Let's talk about that. Let's talk about some of our favorites. All right. So one of my favorites was Sandman. Yeah. And a lot of people might not remember this, but for a long time in the late 80s and through the bulk of the 90s, Sandman gave up a life of crime, like voluntarily. Yeah. He was just like, I'm done with it. It's never gotten me anywhere. Well, and he wanted to be with his daughter, right? Wasn't that kind of the... Wasn't that kind of his drive? No, that was later. Like, that okay. was that was way later. But no, he had, like, he had given up the life of crime. He just wanted to be left alone. And he just like accidentally ended up helping the Avengers right. on a case. Like he was just there and he has powers. And so he, you know, saved the day or whatever. He was pardoned and he became a reserve Avenger. He was pardoned this by was Cap, who apparently circa, has that power. Look, man, <laughs> this was circa Avengers 329. And of course, the Avengers are full of characters that started out as villains and became heroes. Right. Hawkeye, Scarlet Witch, The Vision, Wonder Man, uh, Rogue. The list goes on and on. Right. But with Sandman, unfortunately, at some point, this would have been right around the time that Marvel relaunched Spider-Man in the very late 90s. Right. They said, you know, Sandman as a hero doesn't work for us. This is after his time with the Wild Pack. This is after he ran around with Silver Sable and the Wild Pack. Uh, I dare you to name one more member of the Wild Pack. Battlestar. Wow. (laughs) No, you could have just made that up, though. I don't know. I didn't. (laughs) I wouldn't know. Look it up. <laughs> okay. Don't ask me to name another one. <laughs> Sandman. A <laughs> uh, backup story came out where uh, a supervillain, I believe it was, I remember it being the wizard. I don't 
know why it would have been the wizard because wizard's not a Spider-Man villain. Anyway, essentially they they said Sandman, you've betrayed us. We need you back to your old self. And they put the brain whammy on him, and he forgot all the stuff about wanting to be a hero. Oh, I think it was the wizard. I think that's right. I remember that. And so, like, that choice was taken from him, right? They brainwashed him into going back to being a villain. Tragedy. And now he's a villain. Tragedy. Yeah. But I just love the fact that this guy, this this loser that tried so hard at villainy, gave up, and was like, you know what? F*** it. Yeah. I'm going to be a hero instead. And was actually really good at it. Same thing happened in uh, Brian Michael Bennis's Daredevil, Gladiator. Daredevil. Yeah, but that was more of like a tragic. Like it was super tragic. I just don't want to be. I want to like, be a butcher, gla- right? I don't yeah. want to be. I don't want to. Gladiator be a- <laughs> quit his life of crime, became like it just stopped. He's like, I'm just going to be a stand up citizen. I want to open a small business, and then again, somebody came and put the brain whammy on him. Oh, and he yeah. went really bad. It was crazy, and he ended up dying. It was oh man, it was so sad. It was so mm-hmm. sad. Harvey Dent, we talked about a little bit. Post-op plastic surgery, Harvey Dent. This would have been around the same time that the Riddler was a hero, yes. as Ryan mentioned. Yes. Uh, well, this not was a hero, Detective but... Detective Comics 817 through 820, and then Batman 651 through 654, it right was a, after Infinite Crisis. Right. Uh, when all the books flashed forward a year... One year later. Batman, Superman, and Wonder Woman went away to find themselves, or whatever. <laughs> Harvey Dent was in charge of protecting Gotham in Batman's place. And he was... Uh, he, and he had been cured... Yeah. Right? Uh, the, at the end of Hush, he was cured, you yes. might remember. And so he his face was fixed, and he was, quote-unquote, sane. Well, it didn't go very well. Didn't take. And at the end... Well, he was sane, and it was cool, because like he, he was defending Gotham and dealing with things that Batman probably couldn't have dealt with in different ways, because while he was sane, he still had that crazy voice of Two-Face back in his brain that he was kind of dealing with yeah. and fighting back. And as his struggle to protect Gotham got more difficult, the Two-Face voice got louder and louder right. to where he started making decisions that Batman would never do. Right. And when confronted by Batman, like he just got really angry because it's like, well, you gave me this job. I'm doing it and I'm doing it better than you ever did. And Batman was like, well, we can't just kill people. <laughs> you know, like, that's the problem. You're not really a hero. You're still kind of crazy. And I think he realized he'd unleashed an animal. And then, of course, Harvey freaks out, blows up his apartment, scars his face again, and boom, two faces back. Like, he tried to do it, but eh, didn't the take- heroes. I love that arc. Those hoity-toity heroes. It's all their and, dumb uh, rules. It was called uh, Face the Face, and it was written by James Robinson. Yeah, it was cool. Super good. Check it out. It's in trade. Very cool. Uh, so Magneto, uh, very famously, like he's a hero again now, or whatever you want to call him now. I, he's I with almost think the Magneto X-Men. defies definition. He's one of those characters where it's like he's grown so much, and he's become so interesting that he's no longer a good guy or a bad guy. He's his own character. But before he got right. But before he got to this point in the eighties, he did agree to give up his crusade and join the school. Yeah. And train the new mutants when Xavier, he was the headmaster went away for a while. And then that eventually didn't take. And he went back to being Magneto. Right. With asteroid bases and pulling out, adamantium and bad things it was a whole thing but yeah he wore that purple leotard with a giant m on it loved it i love that magneto costume (laughs) Uh, it's so bad like bicep high gloves sure oh yeah man gross now he's wearing like a tank top (laughs) and he's all ripped up old guy i guess (laughs) 
We did. We kicked Venom around a little bit. Venom started off as a bad guy, alien symbiote. Yeah, wanted to eat Spider-Man's brains. Yep. But then in the '90s, he kind of um, he got involved in this community of people on the West Coast, and he decided to make a go at being their protector. Now, Le- lethal protector. But who was in the symbiote at that time? Because it's always kind it was of, Eddie. Was it Eddie Brock? Yeah, yeah. It's always kind of changed with the person. Well, I mean. Like when the scorpion, when Max, uh, the scorpion, when Max, Mac Gargan, when Gargan was scorpion, wearing it, the, the he was symbio- just bad. The symbiote didn't change hands until much, much later, like right. the early 2000s. So, like Venom essentially kind of had a truce with Spider-Man saying, look, I'm going to stay over here and I'm going to protect these people and be their hero. Stay the f*** away from me. I'm going to try not to come and eat you. <laughs> But I'm I can't make I'm any a good promises. Guy now. If you f*** with me, I'll eat your brain. Uh, and so for a while <laughs> you know, there... like a good guy. <laughs> right. For a while there, he did act as something of an anti-hero back in the heat of the 90s when anti-heroes were the Ugh. thing. They were the, all the rage. God. And of course, it didn't take. And before too long, he was back to his villainous ways. Right. Now, Flash Thompson is in the suit. Good guy again. Controlling Venom. Yeah. Thanks to injections that he was getting from the US government. And... Running around with the Guardians of the Galaxy. Why not? Sure. <laughs> Why I not? I mean, the symbiote's from space, right? It's, it's an alien. It makes perfect sense. It makes sense. And you know what? Pretty cool. I talked crap about it before it happened. Now I like it. I love Agent Venom. I mean, there are a lot of fun examples. There are actually more than I thought of. There's of, a ton. Of villains that went good and then went back to being bad. Yeah. <laughs> and I think it's fun to examine that. I just think that that trope in general is really appealing. Yeah. And there's a reason why writers... And filmmakers keep going back to it. It's just a fun thing to see, we, especially we, with the characters you love to hate. We swallow it hook, line, and sinker every time. Ryan, thanks again for your question. For those of you paying attention, that means that Ryan has gotten not only the question of the week, but an Ask a Nerd. We're going to start paying this He's two for soon. two. I know. Come on, you guys. Step it up. If you've got a comic-related question or a trivia challenge for me, the biggest comic book nerd that ever comic book nerded, you can post it in the THN Ask a Nerd forum or call and leave us a message at the Ziggurat hotline, 402-819-4894. You know what else you can do? Record an MP3, send it to twoheadednerd at gmail.com. You can do that too. Subject line, Ask a Nerd, and I won't listen to it in advance. There you go. It's the honor system, and you trust me. <laughs> sort of break it, break it down like this. And that is it for episode 173 of THN. If you're thinking about returning to your evil ways, you can subscribe to this show on iTunes or Stitcher or TuneIn, where we still need your star ratings, your reviews, your thumbs up, and your hearts, because it helps us to connect with other potential listeners. Tell five people you know about this show, and we'll kiss you on the mouth. We'll do it. <laughs> we are yeah. not that easy. Yeah. No. You bet we are. I am. Thank you, thank you, thank you to all of our donors. We accept donations from both heroes and villains without judgment. And regardless of how dirty your money is, you can make your donation in any amount using our blissfully ignorant PayPal button at twoheadednerd.com. It's just going to look the other way. It doesn't care. Are you kidding me? It doesn't care. And if you want to become a sustaining member, it's as easy as clicking the Make This Donation Monthly box and as little as a dollar a month really does help while you're there you can find links to our contact info via twitter youtube facebook skype and 
our Ziggurat hotline, 402-819-4894. Using this conniving list of resources, you can beg the comic pushers for a new read. You can defend your questionable nerd tastes in front of the honorable two-headed judge for our Defender segment, or you can ask us to review your self-published comic. We haven't gotten any while, be it printed, digital, carved into a totem pole, whatever. And... Don't forget to sign up for the THN forums, guys. It's your little virtual piece of the ziggurat where you can discuss this week's show, reminisce about your evil past, or just rap about comics. Remember to follow us on Twitter, like our Facebook page, and watch the forums if you want to get in on the question of the week discussion. And then be sure to tune in to hear your answers along with our own on the Answer of the Week podcast. Best show on the internet. It's the only show on the internet. It's the only show on the internet. In addition to this show, which well, you are currently listening it's to. It's not the only show on the internet. On the <laughs> internet, there are two shows. There's this two one shows and on the, the answer internet. of the week. God, this is stupid. <laughs> Both of which we do four of each. So really, there are eight shows a month on oh the internet. Oh, my God. <laughs> but if you need more THN in your life, get over to TwoHeadedNerd.com and check out, as I mentioned earlier, The Return of Batman Forever by Kevin Coffey, Saturday Morning Cartoons by The Credible Hulk, this week, it's all about the weird-ass crap networks used to shove down our throats before the FCC said, you know what, some of these need to be educational. Like the laser tag cartoon oh, yeah, and yeah. Rubik's Cube. Well, that, that was just crap. when they were like, oh, kids want to see cartoons about their toys. Okay. Hungry, <laughs> hungry hippos. <laughs> you know, like, what? Oh, check it out. It's a Simon cartoon. <laughs> Are you kidding me? There's also a re- the Credible Hulk's review of the Guardians of the Galaxy. If you didn't get enough of us talking about it on the answer of the week, coming soon. Which we're about to do. We are going to record it right now. It's crazy. There are so many things, you guys. Twitternerd.com. Next week, the comic pushers are back, so get ready for some dope rhymes from MC DJ Patrick. Before we go, I'll take his, it. That's his official rap name now. I'll take it. Before we go, our weekly shout out goes to Nick Post, a vital member of the Midwest Comic Book Association that coordinated the bulk of the Minnesota comic conventions, and he was a partner at the Source Comics and Games in St. Paul, Minnesota. I say he was because Nick passed away this week, and the Midwest comic scene will miss him very, very much. Word to you, Mr. Postiglione, and rest in peace, sir. Until next time, true believers. Remember to pre-order your comics because your retailer just might slip you the tongue for doing it. This is the two-headed nerd. Signing off. Don't gotta stay strong when it comes. Better believe on gotta show that you can lean on. Lean on.